Today we'll be in Romans 15. It's going to be short as just six verses. There's no guarantee it's short. Yeah, well, my reading will be short. No promises. I love the Gideons. Uh, thank you for what you guys do. Because uh, we're going to read from the scripture that you guys share. And uh, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Alright, I'll start in verse 1 of chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those reproached who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just uh, pray, God, that you anoint this time that we have with you, whether it be a long or short, God, that you just... Uh, speak to us through these words, God, through your word, through yours, yourself, God, that example that you set, that you can be uh, more than just pages in a book to us, that you can be real, that you can be moving in us, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Man, every time I start preparing for... Uh, the next message of Romans, I notice I getting closer and closer to the end of the book. And I don't think it's been a year and a half yet, has it? <laughs> has it really? Oh, you guys break my heart. Hey, uh, as we look here at Romans chapter 15, I just want to remind us where we're coming from. Remember, <clears throat> the, the subject of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And we see in... Uh, first eight chapters, the concept of uh, the principles of the righteousness of God. That's where we talked about we're broken. Uh, first three chapters, deliver every man, woman, and child broken before Christ. We are all sinners, right? And so we stand condemned before God. But the scripture tells us that God didn't leave us that way. He did this miracle whereby he sent his son to come in the flesh, die on a cross for our sins, be raised for our justification. The scripture declares then that we have been made through faith in Christ just as if we never sinned. We've been justified. He put the Holy Spirit in our life and Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us, lives within us. And so the, the Bible tells us that we're sanctified because inside of us there is God. And He is changing us from the inside out. Changing our desires, our wants, and those kind of things. That's called sanctification. Then we're looking forward to glorification. That's the day we see Jesus face to face. Don talked about it this morning, right? Today might be the day. Looking forward to that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our glorification. We have security. We saw that in Romans chapter 8. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends at the end of chapter 8 with there is now no separation, right? Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So we see the security that we have in the Lord. Then we came into 9, 10, 11, where we started talking about some of the, the problems associated with the righteousness of God. God, His corporate election of Israel. We talked about the rejection of Israel and the, and the receiving of the gospel by the Gentiles and the future day when the nation of Israel will receive their Messiah. When we come into chapter 12, at chapter 12, we, we broke into the practical application, if you will. That's where, where the righteousness of God is seen in you and me. The righteousness of God seen in us. How is it seen in us? And we, we talked about all those things in chapter 12. It's seen when we have real dedication to the Lord. Remember, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him, which is your reasonable act of worship or your reasonable service. So the idea of having real dedication, not just that, you know, some people, like, for example, I'm not very dedicated to a diet. So don't be dedicated to the Lord like I'm dedicated to a diet. That's not real dedication. Be really dedicated to the Lord, a living sacrifice. We also talked about the idea that that to see the righteousness of God expressed in our lives, we, we're going to have real love. Remember, it told us in, in chapter 12, let your love be without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Don't play act love. Don't pretend love. Just have real love. Well, how do we have real love? Romans chapter 5 told us that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. How do we have the Holy Spirit? Jesus Christ gave us the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit enters into our life. The Gospel of Luke tells us if we want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all we have to do is ask. And He'll give. You need more love? Just ask. The Holy Spirit is there to pour that out in our lives. We can have real love expressed. Chapter 13 was everybody's favorite. That's where we... Talked about radical obedience to the law. We talked about being subject to the authorities, right? The government, and we talked about paying taxes, so we're supporting it. But the important part of that, well, all of it's important, but the exceptional part of that is at the end where it says how we can satisfy the law of the land by love. Love satisfies the law. Love always does more than the law requires. So that radical obedience to the law we see fulfilled when we learn to love each other. Just, just like Don was sharing, right? We love God. What's the second one? We love our neighbor. The third one? We love our enemy. If we love our enemy and our neighbor, then we're... It all fits together, right? So same way, chapter 13 of, of Romans was laying out that concept. When we come to chapter 14, chapter 14's purpose is to tell us about freedom. Now, I, I've been trying to... I took a lot of time on 14, and maybe I just confused everybody. But 14 is what you're free, where, where you're free in Christ. And so often when we come to talk about our freedom in Christ, all we want to talk about is what I'm free to do. So I wanted to share what... Romans 14, the authority on freedom, liberty in Christ, what it tells us we're free to do. Maybe you remember these. You're free not to judge one another. You're free not to cause your brother to stumble. You're free to exercise love to others. And you are free to judge yourself. That's what Romans 14 talks about. Our liberty. That we're free. And that, that freedom isn't just freedom to run around like a crazy person. That's freedom 
to follow Christ, to be who it is God's asking us to be, to fulfill His purpose in our life. We come to Romans 15 where we're going to start today. Now we're talking about dynamic unity. When we are expressing the righteousness of God in the life of a believer, there will be dynamic unity. Unity in the body of Christ. It's all over the Word of God, isn't it? That, that, that we're all part of the same body. We want to see that dynamic unity. Now, he's been laying the groundwork to that. Because back in chapter 14, remember? How is it that we're going to have this unity? Well, one, don't judge each other. Two, don't cause your brother to stumble. Three, don't live just to please yourself. And that's how he segues into this idea of unity. Let's look at it. Romans 15, 1 and 2. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. Not to please ourselves. let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So first we see unity in our attitudes. And look at the attitudes. Who's, who is he calling out? We who are strong. We who are strong. This is an opportunity, guys, for the strong to demonstrate the love of Christ. And we demonstrate that love of Christ in the unity of the Spirit by bearing with the scruples of the weak. The strong. In God's household, strength denotes obligation. If you are strong, uh, 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 spiritually mature, been with the Lord a long time, you understand how things work. If you're strong, you have an obligation to the weak. Not to look down your nose at them. Not to do like Don said, where sometimes we put ourselves up on a pedestal and we look down on how everybody else has not quite reached our level of spiritual uh, ability. We become uh, spiritually arrogant. Spiritual arrogance is probably the worst kind of arrogance on earth. I, I have a hard time with spiritual arrogance. Because the only way you're spiritual is because God's working in your life. So you ain't done nothing. What are you so proud of? So we don't want to be spiritually arrogant. But if we are strong, we want to understand I have an obligation I have an obligation to do what the Scripture is asking us to do. You see what the Scripture asks us? We who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. You know where ought comes from? It's an old English word. It comes from the word owe. It doesn't mean, well, you know, really I ought to do that, but I don't think I'm going to. It means you owe it. You owe You owe it to your weak brother or weaker sister or weaker part of the body of Christ. You owe it to them to bear with the scruples of the weak. We want to bear with it too. We want to have that right attitude. We come in unity and it can't be like oh, like my my like I used to watch my little brothers. And you guys got little siblings? And you ever go, Mom, Pastor you to come on, you gotta you gotta watch little Johnny. Oh come on. I was going to go out. Me and Kathy had a date. No, somebody's got to watch little Johnny. Oh, fine, I'll do it. And it was the most miserable day of his life. (laughs) 
He ruined my date. That's not how we're supposed to bear with the scruples of the week. We're supposed to have an attitude of love, right? Love satisfies the law. We want to have that attitude pouring out of us to grace and mercy. It is, the Bible tells in Ephesians 4, I think we're going to look at it today, the idea that we want to speak truth in love. It's okay to tell somebody if they're blowing it or, or, or they need to, to come this way or go that way. It's okay to share that. We just got to share it in love. Not from, from elite snobbery, but from the shoulder of a brother. Sharing, sharing things that may help, things that may encourage. We want to be able to do those things. We got to bear with the scruples of the week. Listen, Galatians 6.2, it tells us, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word to bear, it means to carry a something that is a burden. It is not pleasant. It is not easy. The word tells us that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to require something from you. But earlier we, we see times where it tells us we're to pursue love and we're to pursue peace. What does that mean? It means I don't just lay back and wait for it to happen. I look for ways to be that for those who are around me. So when we're bearing up each other's burdens, we need to understand that. We bear up that burden. We take that heaviness, that struggle, that issue, whether it is food or whether it is day or whatever the thing is. And we bear, we lay aside our freedom, we lay aside our liberty, we lay aside those things to encourage our brother, to build our brother up, to help him grow. That's the goal. To see them grow, to see them become the men and women God wants them to be. And then the scripture tells us not to please ourselves. Whoops. When's the last time you lived a whole day with that as your motto? Not to please yourself. Man, it's even hard doing that when I'm fasting. And I'm trying not to please myself. And then I find myself longing for a monster. That's hard not to want to please ourselves. He says that's... That's our motivation, our attitude of unity binding us together can't be self-focused. It can't be meeting my need. I, I need this. I need that. It's not about me. Look, 2 Timothy 3.2 says, for, all, uh, for the day will come when men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Says men will be lovers of themselves. That's it's, it's denoting those men who are who are taking a stance in the opposite direction to Jesus Christ. When Jesus stood up and he said to the masses and he said to his disciples and he said to people one on one, "Come, follow me." It wasn't to go please himself, was it? So when we please ourselves, it's important that we recognize when that's my motivation. When that's the, the driving force in my day, then I'm moving in the opposite direction of Christ. Because I should be moving to please others. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we should please others, caring about others rather than ourselves. We see the same thing in marriage, don't we? 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and, and also in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it lays out for us that the husband ought to take care of his wife, right? To please her. And the wife, she should live her life to please her husband. Now tell me what exactly you got to fight about if you're both doing that. Not too much, right? I'm happy. And so we, we recognize this is the way, this is the recipe for unity, radical unity. And so we want to see this dynamic unity in our life, then we have to recognize our, our motivation needs to change. can't be about me. You guys remember the story I told you about Peter, right? Remember Jesus was hanging out with the 12 disciples? And they're sitting down in the... The, 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 right near the, the shore of Galilee, there's a bunch of rocks down there, and Jesus said, hey, will you guys all pick up a rock? So they all pick up a rock, and Peter looked around, found himself a little pebble, and he picked up a little pebble, put it in his pocket. And they went up to the top of the mountain, overlooking the Sea of Galilee. When they got up to the top of the mountain, way super high climb, and all the way up, Peter's going, man, I am so smart, some of these guys are carrying big rocks, man. They get up to the top of the mountain and Jesus says, hey, take out your rocks. And they all take out their rocks and Jesus turns it to bread and says, there's your lunch. <laughs> now everybody's eating and Peter's hungry. And at day, the end of the day comes and Jesus says, okay, everybody pick up a rock. And Peter said, I know how this works. So he went and found the biggest rock he could get. And he put that thing up on his shoulder. And they walked all the way down that mountain back to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when they got down to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said, Okay, throw your rocks in the water. And Peter's like, What? (laughs) And Jesus would say to Peter, Hey, I just asked you to carry the rock. Who were you carrying it for? You carrying it for me? You carrying it for you? You live in to please yourself, or you live in to please the Lord and please others. And this is what he's calling us to in Romans 15. This dynamic unity, this attitude that he wants us to have, not about pleasing ourselves. And then he tells us he wants us to edify others. Look what he says in the beginning of verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Not even for your good. It's pleasing the neighbor for his good. It's all about the edification of our neighbor, our brother. He wants us to have a lifestyle of doing for others whatever is best for their spiritual good. What's best for their spiritual good? What's best for my brother, what's best for my neighbor, and providing that regardless to the cost. It's not uncommon. You remember Jesus said, if uh, someone comes alongside and asks you for your shirt, give him your also. Jesus was always about others. It wasn't about how tired he was. If he wanted to spend time with the Lord, how did he do it? If Jesus wanted to spend time with his Father, what's the Bible say? 
He rose up early in the morning before anybody got up. And he went to an isolated place and he prayed. And then when he came back to the people, how long did they keep him? All day. Usually into the night pretty deep, huh? And then the day started again. And he did not ever complain. He did not ever say, you know, you guys always want something. What are you always wanting something for? He didn't do that. He just met the needs of others. And he said to you and I, come follow me. Come follow me. Come in the direction that I'm going. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. We should be familiar with this section of scripture. It says, and he, speaking of, of Jesus, and he himself... Gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What's that next part? For the edifying of the body of Christ to build up the body. This is the goal to build up the body till we all come to what? The unity of the faith. What have we been talking about in Romans chapter 15? Dynamic unity. Where's that dynamic unity? It comes when I don't think about myself. I don't want to please myself. I want to please my neighbor. I want to do what's best for him to grow. I want to do what's best for him to become uh, the man that he needs to be. He says we're going to do this in Ephesians 4 till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect or a complete man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what's our goal? To be like our neighbor or to be like Jesus? Yeah, we want to be like Jesus. We want to look like Him. That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, or by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together... Um, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So as we grow up in Christ, here's what Romans 4.11 is telling us. It's like, as we all grow up in Christ, move toward Jesus, we all move closer together. And when we all are moving closer to Jesus and closer together, the unity that we experience is dynamic. And that's to be our goal. If we're going to really, we're saying, I want to express the righteousness of God is in me. I've been justified, sanctified. I'm looking forward to be glorified. I have secure, I'm secure in my relationship with Christ. And I want that expressed through me. And it should be expressed in that unity. And that unity that is expressed in me or through me happens as I am moving toward Christ. And if I'm moving toward Christ, I'm not living to please myself. I'm living to to help others. I'm living to please my neighbor. I'm living to help them. Why? Why do we say all this? Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. For even Christ did not please Himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you... Fell on me. That's from Psalm 69.9, by the way. So how is it that Christ did not please Himself? What's the, what's the Bible tell us about it? The Bible tells us in, uh, in John 8.29, Jesus said, I always do the things that please my Father. In John 4.34, He said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. 
In John 6.38, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So Paul quotes Psalm 69.9, which says, The reproaches, your reproaches, they fall on me. Which Jesus is saying, look, I, I came to do God's will. I came to do what God asked me to do. And as a result, the, the, the hatred toward him landed on me. And Jesus said, come, follow me. It's not a shock, right? He told us. Teachers not, the, the, the master's greater than the student. But the, the student's not greater than the master. They, they hated me, they're going to do what? They're going to hate you also. They're going, to, they're going to pour out the reproaches that are meant for God on, on you. You become that representation of God on earth for people. Is that not true? Do you not watch the news? You see the intolerance toward people who actually believe the Bible? It's okay if you take the Bible with you and you read it occasionally. And especially it's okay if you go through it with a marker and mark off all them verses that are intolerant of other people. That you mark them all, X them off, take all that stuff out. If you'll do that, then then that's great. But if you actually believe what that Bible says, if you actually believe that things that Jesus taught, there's no tolerance for that. And we need to make a decision in our mind now that I'm going to walk that road even though those reproaches will follow me. If I'm following Christ, those reproaches are going to come to me. If I'm living to please myself, I won't have to worry about it. Those reproaches will miss me. I could have pretty good, pretty, pretty good life, pretty easy time. Not going to be a, a lot of ruckus because I'm not going to make a lot of waves. But if I'm following Jesus, if I'm doing the things that He did, if I'm following the example that He gave, then it will. We will see those reproaches. But that's not all there is. That's not all there is. Because the beauty of watching Christ is He didn't misuse the freedom, the liberty that He had. He used it rather to serve other people. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. It says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. Jesus said, Come follow me. Look, the key to our unity within the church and within all the churches, if we want to see churches be able to get along with one another, we've got to stop fighting about things that don't matter, like he told us back in Romans chapter 14. And we've got to start clinging to what does. Our unity is in Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, when we're following Christ, when we're following His example, when we're living for others and not for ourselves, when we're allowing the mind of Christ to have its way in us, which is that perfect example, right? It's that example of looking uh, not at what can happen for me, but at what I can do to help others. 
That's when the body of Christ, the church, functions the best. When the body of Christ gathers together and the parts of the body say, what can I do for the body? How can I support the body? What happens in your body when something says, I just don't like this place no more. I got a couple, I got a couple of hitches in my knee that I'm pretty sure they, they called a, a revolution. Every once in a while, one of them sticking the wrong way. And every once in a while, when my knee bends, I feel him. He's not playing well with the rest of the body. And we want to realize that every part, every piece of the body has a part to play within the body. And the whole body is best when the whole body is working together. Functioning together. Hanging to Christ. Heading in the same direction. See, that's the key. That's the key to bringing us together. So, what, what do we fight about? Churches, we fight about what what would what, you wear to church? Or we fight about... Uh, uh, what you what you what you sing? Which songs? Uh, hymns or or choruses or uh, whether or not you you play the drums? Or we fight about whether or not uh, they let you speak in tongues during the service, or or whether you, you you do that at other studies? Or we fight about all that stuff. What's all that stuff got to do with Jesus? And we spend all this time banging our heads up against our brother, right? Fighting amongst ourselves, shining our armor. We should be dirty in that armor, fighting against the enemy. And we should be able to be unified in Christ. Hey, anytime I talk with somebody who tells me they're a brother, the first thing we're going to talk about is Jesus. Who's Jesus? If we got the same Jesus, you're my brother. We're good. So that's the central unifying key that we want to cling to. So we not only do we do we see these things, we also see in verse 4, Romans 15, the encouragement of the Scriptures. Look at it. Verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Man, we want to have dynamic unity. We want to follow the encouragement of the Word of God. Now, you can't follow the encouragement of the Word of God if you're not in the Word of God. That's impossible. Long time ago, I don't know how long ago, I don't see cat. So, long time ago, the Pastor Gerald started this thing at the church we were in, in California. He said, uh, read your Bible and pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. I think it was about seven years ago, something like that. And so, there are a number of people who made that choice to do that every day. And have read through the Bible in the last seven years, seven times. Now, I'm going to tell you something about a person who reads through their Bible seven times. They are grounded. They have patience and comfort and hope. Now, the biggest excuse we have when we talk about the, receiving the encouragement from the Word of God is, I read it, I don't understand it. Well, stop doing that. Stop opening up the Bible and say, okay, I'm going to read it, but I'm not going to understand it. It's English. English is not your second language. You know what English says. 
It says what it says. You may not like what it says. You may hope it says something else. But it pretty much is saying what it looks like it's saying. We have in the bookstore a one-year Bible uh, that just has the, the breakdown. You can get them online. I think Kathy's got a sheet out there with some breakouts. Learning to read our Bible and pray every day. The encouragement of the Word of God keeps us unified. When people get off track, you know, they lost the Word. They lost this. I actually had somebody share with me one time about somebody saying, you know, we spend too much time studying a book that disciples didn't have and not spending that time focused on the Holy Spirit that they did. Well, if you, if you think about that statement, we'll roll it back a little bit. What was the Holy Spirit doing in those apostles? Was writing a word. He was providing for us the word of God. So that we would have something to cling to, something to hold to. And we make that choice to read God's word. If you trip over something, you go, man, I don't get that at all. Boy, I'll just tell you, I'm just happy to answer Bible questions all day long. You just feel free to call. Or come on by. I'm here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. If Monday's your only day, you can ask me really nice. At the end of the fast, you can bring me a monster and that'll probably work out for you. (laughs) I encourage you, read God's Word. It's the encouragement of the Scriptures that are going to give us strength. What is it good for? It's for our learning. All the Scriptures are for our learning. Because it provides for us that deepest need that we have. What's that deepest need that we have? These people don't like this one. One of the deepest needs you have is endurance. You hear people say, don't pray for patience. Man, don't do that. Pray for it. It's going to come anyway. Wouldn't you like to pray and, and have the Lord's help as it comes? We have need of endurance. So we, where do we find that patience? It tells us through the scriptures. Where do we find the comfort? Through the scriptures. The things we're going through, the struggles that we're having, where are those, where are, is that support found? When we read the scripture, we make it a part of our life. We make it a part of who we are. We pour it into us. And what's the result? The result of pouring the scripture in is that we have hope. Isn't that what it says? That through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then verse five describes it all to us. Look at it. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant to you to be, see that word, like-minded? That's the word unified. To be united together. Jesus prayed it in John chapter 17, that we would be united together, like He and the Father are united together. Now may the God of patience and comfort, and then where did that patience and comfort come from? The Word of God. What's John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word was... With God and the Word was. So, Jesus Christ is God the Word. It's not shocking to us, is it? That the verse 5 says now, the God of patience and comfort. The Word is the source of patience and comfort. The Word is the Word of God. Of course, patience and comfort comes from there. May He grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. And then, verse 6, He, he gives us this incredible... Concept. We, we, we looked at the attitudes. Think about all the attitudes we looked at. 
We want to have unity and attitude. So that means the strong owe it to the weak to bear with them. It also lays out for us that we're not to please ourselves, but to edify, build up others. And that we're to follow the example of Christ and the encouragement of the Scriptures. And then in verse 6, he tells us we can have unity in worship. Did you like that this morning? For those of you who are here for the, for the first song, it's kind of cool to have everybody up here and, and do a song all together. To just sing and have a little bit of fun and praise the Lord. Look what it says in verse 6. That you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's unity in worship. That we might with one mind and one mouth. If we are all clinging to Christ as central in our life, if we're all drawing closer to Him and thereby coming closer to one another, if we're having those attitudes that bring about unity, then we're going to have unity in worship, not not disunity. We're going to have unity when we glorify the Lord. Scripture tells that if we lift Jesus up, He'll draw all men to Himself. That's why He was on the cross in the first place. He said, go ahead, put me up on the cross. I'll bring all men to Myself. So ever since that time, Christ is there calling. Hey, come. You're lost and broken. I'm here to save, to justify, to sanctify to give you the promise of glorification and a secure relationship with God. He's doing it. When we do that, we experience unity in our worship. But it's possible to impoverish our worship, to make worship poor and offer poor praise by being stubborn and unwilling to love our fellow believers. How beautiful is the worship when we worship together in unity. Good Psalm 133. Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron. Running down on the edges of his garments, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The description in Psalm 133 is of the beautiful things that they loved to see in their culture. So we have some of those too, Right? We have some of those beautiful things. I, I've shared a number of times. I, I know I, I, I catch it sometimes, but I, lo- I love the snow. But when the snow comes, I know that's how I catch it. When the snow comes, there's two ways to look at it, right? When you look at the beauty or the pain. It's a pain. But it's got to be shoveled and moved. And When we make the decision to live our life in unity with one another, keeping Christ central in our life. It's like looking at the beauty. And when we look, when we live our lives in disunity, arguing and bickering and not keeping Christ central, 
It's like looking at the pain. And we, we don't like hanging around people like that. I, that's why I married Kathy. I don't want somebody like me. Every glass I look at is half empty. Everything I look at is, I, I look at, I see the, the problem or the issue. Kathy's my little happy place. She's Pollyanna. Everything is good. Everything is happy. You don't even want to be at our house when she's in a bad way. It's not good. We want to walk in that place where we're able to see the beauty. We're able to express the love. We're able to have the attitude that God wants us to have to be unified. Because then we're expressing the righteousness of God. And we do that when we make the the choice to say, you know, I'm going to see the beauty. I'm not going to see the problem. I'm going to see the beauty of, of what it is to be together. Because that's what the scripture called it, right? In Psalm 133, he said, how, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Let that be our goal as we make Christ central in our life. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to have all them crazy people from this morning. Why don't you guys come on back up? We're going to do that song again. I haven't done that song enough yet. I'm running out of pipes, so I'm going to need more singers. And as they come up, let's just pray. Let's just, let's just let verse 6 be our prayer, right? Oh, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we just give you praise. Lord, we give you thanks. It's our desire as we close out the service this morning that we close it out with one voice, one mind, unified together that, Lord Jesus, you are central. You are our everything. That we will bear with one another, that we will share in love with one another, that we will we pursue peace, Lord, not allow those things that might divide brethren to divide us. God, that we could be a place for building up the broken, not a place for tearing them down. That we can be a place where we can gather together and comfort one another and experience uh, patience growing in our lives as we read uh, the encouragement from your word. God, that you would be glorified in it. This is your prayer, Lord. You you recorded your prayer in John 17 and the, and the emphasis of your prayers that we would be united together. So God, I pray that we would have that heart and that desire as we come before you this morning. I pray that you would receive the praises of your people as we just call upon you. We ask, Lord God, that you would be glorified and magnified as we sing your praise in Jesus' name. Amen.